Father in heaven, we thank you for the time of worship that we've been able to have thus far this evening. What a great undeserved privilege it is to come together as your people on a Friday evening and worship you through song, through prayer, through fellowship that has already happened. Even on this Friday evening specifically as we gather around for to, to remember and, and contemplate and focus on the, the very work that brought about our salvation. And so we ask this evening that everything we do would be uh, through the unity that we have in Christ because of his death. And even now, as we sit under the preaching of your word, Lord, give us soft hearts, humble hearts, teachable hearts, Lord, that ultimately we would not leave from here the same way that we have come. Lord, Lord, that we would leave here with a greater affection for you, Christ, our Savior. Help me to preach clearly and boldly and be out of the way of the text this evening. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to First Baptist Church. I don't get to say that really ever. It's usually welcome to Grace Bible Church. I am, uh, my name is Joey. I'm the pastor of Grace Bible Church. Uh, we meet on the Upper East Side, and it's always uh, truly a joy to come together with uh, you saints here at First Baptist Church uh, in any capacity, whether we get to sit here and enjoy uh, uh, one of your men preaching or we get to be involved in the service, uh, worship service in some way, shape, or form. It's always uh, great to look out and see familiar faces uh, that we're united uh, together in Christ with. Uh, well, this evening, uh, as I even prayed, um, it's uh, a special occasion, uh, especially for the believer, when we think about why it is that we gather together this evening. And appropriately so, normally on Good Friday, we, we spend a lot of time focusing on the event of the cross itself, right? We, we just sang a lot of songs that recounted the, 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 the passion itself, the, the passion of the Christ, the him hanging on the cross, his, his blood being shed for our sins, Right, in envisioning him hanging on the cross for us and, and the appropriate uh, affections that that wells up in our hearts as we sing those truths and think about those realities of the event that happened, the crucifixion itself. We, uh, we heard Pastor Harry read uh, from Mark 15, the, the crucifixion account itself. Uh, all appropriate things that we get to focus in on uh, really every Sunday, but uniquely on Good Friday and then obviously this upcoming Sunday where we think about specifically and remember the resurrection of Christ. And yet tonight, uh, tonight's focus is going to be maybe a little bit different than, than maybe a normal Good Friday evening service. And what I mean by that is uh, we're actually not going to look at a text that is going to specifically draw attention to the event, the crucifixion, but instead we're going to look at a text not on the, that, not, that doesn't focus on the details of the cross, but instead that focuses on what was accomplished through the cross. So, so both are necessary, right? We, we, and it's going to be lots of overlap. As we think about what was accomplished through the cross, we have to think about the crucifixion of Christ, the event itself, and yet sometimes we can kind of stop short a little bit and not think about, okay, what did that accomplish Right? What, what does that mean to me? How does that change my life? How does that affect how I live? How does that affect my position before God? 
See, a text like what we're going to look at this evening and the focus on uh, on what was accomplished through the cross is an intensely personal thing to study. It's an intensely personal text for each and every one of us here this evening. It, It doesn't matter if you are a Christian or not a Christian this evening. It doesn't matter if you are a believer in Christ or someone who is living rejecting Christ this evening. Either way, this text is intensely personal to you, to each and every every one of us, because what we're going to study tonight for the Christian has changed absolutely everything in your life, right? Everything is different because of what we're going to study this evening, because of what was accomplished through the cross of Christ and for the non-Christian this evening. Uh, whether you like it or not, whether your faith is in, if your faith is not in this Christ, what we're going to study this evening, what was accomplished through the crucifixion, through the cross of Christ, exposes everything in your life. It shines a bright light on every aspect of your life, on the, the deepest, darkest, most hidden parts of your heart and your mind. What, what happened on the cross and then what was accomplished through that work on the cross exposes everything in your life. And then, as if that wasn't enough, it then holds you accountable. It then holds you accountable and says, this happened, this is why it happened, where are you in the middle of this? And so no matter where you are at this evening in your position on Jesus and on who he is and who he was and what he did and what, why we're even here celebrating Good Friday, this is intensely personal for you. So with that being said, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Chapter 2. We're going to read the whole text that we're going to study this evening up front here and then start to work through it together. Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 13. The Apostle Paul writes this And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Before we dive into specifically even verse 13 and, and, and following, I want to remind you of the context of what Paul has been writing about up until this point. You see, see Paul has, has, is writing to uh, the believers in Colossae, the, the Colossian church there, and he's writing with, with a very heavy and weighty pastoral concern toward them. See, there were those that were coming in and trying to, trying to sway them away from Christ, trying to sway them away from the rest that they should have in, in the work that Christ had done. 
And Paul is telling them, don't be swayed. Uh, Don't be distracted by these things. Look at what he writes in chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He wanted them not to be swayed by these things, philosophy and empty deceit and human tradition. Anything that would say the work of Christ was not enough for our uh, time this evening. Anything that would say what we are going to focus on and be reminded of that was accomplished through the cross of Christ. Anything that would say that was not enough. You have to also do this. You have to add this. You have to, you have to add this form of thinking, this, these works, these actions, anything that would say that Paul is saying stay away from. Uh, there's, there's a heavy heart that he has. There's a concern that he has for them. And so it's on the coattails of that and reminding them of their, of their uh, baptism, even the, the symbol of being buried with Christ because of his death, and then the, talking about Christ being raised by God from the dead in verse 12. It's on the coattails of all of that that we have our text for this evening. In this text, in Colossians two thirteen through 15, we're going to look at three aspects of the work accomplished on the cross. Three aspects of the work accomplished on the cross. I'll give all three of them to you up front here, and then we'll fill them in as we go. The first is the necessity of the cross. The necessity of the cross. Second is the function of the cross. And third, the finality of the cross. So the necessity, the function, and the finality of the cross. So first, the necessity here. Look back with me at verse 13. Paul writes, And you, who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. I'm going to pause there just for a minute here. Notice... Paul's narrowing in on and focus stayed in on his readers, on the believers in Colossae, and really on you and I for believers in this room. He says, and you. His attention is locked in on the believer. And, and as he moves forward in writing this, what he's doing is reminding them of their state before the work of Christ. In essence, he's saying, you, listen up, pay very close attention. I'm going to show you how bad it really was because we know at times we can forget how bad it really was, right? And an evening like this, as we as we sing about what happened on the cross and Christ's blood being shed, we have to remember something that gruesome, something that bad had to happen because of how bad our state was apart from that work. And you, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. 
This, this past week, uh, I'm sure all, every single one in this room is very much aware of the shooting that happened on the subway in Brooklyn, right? Uh, every one of us was probably, no matter what it was that we had going on throughout that day, just trying to keep tabs on the news to see what happened, what was happening, and, and if the, 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 the man was caught, and uh, what was happening with the injuries with all of these men and women that were on the subway card, and uh, news article after news article, interview after interview, a lot of them used this phrase, well, there is kind of a silver lining, right? And what is the silver lining? No, th- there were no fatalities, right? Uh, no one died because of the shooting. There were, there were no deaths that were accounted for, at least that, that I'm aware of. And, and when you hear that over and over and over, it begs the question, why is this such a big deal? Well, we know why, because death is the end of life here, right? Uh, death is the end of life here. It's the final sting. One who is dead can no longer be helped. Uh, do, do you kind of see where I'm going with this? Paul doesn't say that you were critically wounded. Paul doesn't say that you were in a really helpless state at the, uh, you know, what's the analogy that you were drowning with one hand up and Jesus came and, and reached for you and saved you. No, no, no. I'm sure you've heard it's heard it said we were dead at the bottom of the ocean, right? And, and Christ had to give us life. We, you and I, apart from Christ, were spiritually helpless. You could say, apart from Christ, it was the end of the story for us. The only way to help someone who is dead is to do what? To give them life. The only thing that a dead person needs is life. And so what's the only solution to spiritual death? What's the only remedy to spiritual death? Someone giving them, someone giving you life. We're dead. Dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Morally depraved. Ephesians, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and you can somewhat keep your your thumb in there because we're going to bounce back and forth just a little bit this evening. Remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Echoing these, these same, the same uh, uh, phrase in, in a lot of ways. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Skipping ahead to verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Dead. Just in case you weren't convinced, Paul writes this, that we were dead. And we're dead in our trespasses. I want you to remember this evening that Paul could have written, you who were dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Right? He could have just pointed out one trespass, one sin, and that would have been enough to render us spiritually dead before God. One single sin, one single violation of God's moral standards, as Romans 3.23 reminds us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God's standard is perfection, and, and how many mistakes does it take to not meet the standard of perfection? Tell me, interact here, how many? 
One, thank you. One, one mistake. One missing of God's standard is enough to miss his standard of perfection. And Paul says, you who were dead in your trespasses, in your trespasses, in, in the life that you lived before Christ, in, in, in the, very, uh, the very affections that you had in your life, everything you lived for, everything that you worshipped apart from Christ rendered you dead before God. But notice Paul doesn't just stop there. It's not just what you've done. It's not just dead in your trespasses, but in essence, it's also who you are. Not just what you've done, but who you are. For the believer, who you were. Trespasses, your sins against God, and he says, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. There's a lot we can talk about with this, but, but to sum it up very, very concisely, Paul is basically pointing their attention to their position and really our position outside of the people of God. That's what he's talking about here, the uncircumcision of your flesh. Circumcision of the flesh was a clear sign of those who were a part of the, of the people of God, a part of Israel, a part of ethnic Israel. Paul is making it clear. It's not just the fact that you've sinned. It's not just the fact that, fact that you have miss, missed God's moral standards. But, but remember, even to the Gentiles reading this, the uncircumcision of your flesh is a reminder to you that you are outside of the people of God apart from Christ. You were dead. And so why the necessity of the cross? What is the necessity of the cross? Well, if Jesus would not have given up his life, you would still be without spiritual life. Uh, Let that sink in this evening. I know we sung songs that echoed this a little bit, but really let that sink in. That if Jesus Christ had not done what we have gathered together this evening to remember and focus on, you would still be spiritually dead. And if you are rejecting Christ, if you heard the words to those songs and you thought, yeah, I don't believe any of that, then the truth is you are still spiritually dead and accountable for all your sin. Guilty before a holy God. But through the cross came atonement. Through the cross came a penalty that was paid. A payment for the penalty. Go and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, we are reminded of the work that Christ did as the the, the final and great high priest. And as the final and great high priest who shed his blood in the, in the midst of this explanation, the author of Hebrews reminds us of something that was necessary to happen and that always has been necessary to happen. Hebrews 9.22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And look carefully, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. See, the blood of Jesus had to drip off of that cross. The blood of Jesus had to drip down to the dust. 
The blood of Jesus had to be shed or you and I would not be forgiven. It was the final sacrifice, the final picture of atonement that would be needed for the people of God. So you have the necessity of the cross. Why, why was Christ crucified? Well, the necessity is because you and I are dead without it, dead in our trespasses, dead in the uncircumcision of the flesh. And Paul moves on to focus on the function of the cross. Our second point, the function of the cross. Back in Colossians chapter 2, Verse 13, once again, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Brother and sister in Christ, do do, do you truly believe, do you truly know that the penalty of your sin was paid at the cross, fully. What happened at the cross brought us new life. What happened at the cross brought us a new heart. This is really the main work that happened at the cross. The main point of this text, God has done the final work through Christ. Our sins forgiven. Us being made alive with Christ. God made alive. There's a a theological term for that. It's called regeneration. Being made alive. Being being born again. Again, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, looking at verse 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Titus chapter 3 verse 5. Titus chapter 3 verse 5, Paul writes this, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Even 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The new has come. If you're a Christian here this morning, if you walk around telling people that you are saved, if you walk around and tell people you are a Christian, then what you are telling them is that at some point in time, even if you can't pinpoint exactly when it was, at some point in time, there was an actual spiritual transaction that happened in your life, that your heart of stone had been pulled out and instead you were given a heart of flesh, a heart that would for the first time have affections for the Lord, that your heart for the first First time would desire to worship God, that your heart for the first time would not be only driven by sin and driven to sin, that you for the first time have been freed from your sin, from your bondage to sin. Uh, that, that's why we 
can't look at our salvation, our justification specifically as, as an on-ramp or this kind of long period of time. Your justification happened at a moment. You may not know exactly when, and that's fine, but you were justified before God at a moment in time. The, the spiritual transaction happened. God made you alive at some point in time, and before that, you were dead. That had to happen. That had to happen. Romans 6.13 says this, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Later on in Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3, listen to the terminology that Paul uses when talking to the believers. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Verse 3, For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. In a lot of ways, throughout the letter of Colossians, Paul kind of repeats himself. And, and if the, the, the truth of what happens in the believer's life through Christ is a diamond, he kind of walks us around this diamond showing us the same truth at different angles, looking at different facets of this diamond. See, he, he just mentioned an eschatological truth that at one point, at some point in time, we will be raised with him in glory because of his resurrection. But it also points back to something that happens in our justification that God made us alive in the same way that because of Christ's resurrection, we will one day, we uh, are raised from the dead from our sin at some point in time when Christ returns in glory, we also will be glorified. That's why he says, having back in verse 13, God made us alive together with him. Uh, those two are is, uh, inseparable. You can't separate the, 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 the death of Christ and his resurrection from the people that he purchased, from your own uh, uh, death before sin and death to sin, and then the new life that you have been given. Together with him, Christ was raised to life after the cross. And you have been raised to life because of what was accomplished on the cross from a spiritual death. Paul goes on to focus our attention onto what had to go into this work. He says, having forgiven us all our trespasses. The very sins that you've committed... The, the very trespasses that rendered you dead before God. God forgave. He forgave them. So truly forgave. Instead of pouring out his wrath on us, he poured out his wrath on Christ. And because God is a just God, he will not pour out his wrath Twice for the same sins, right? Uh, Jesus Christ bore the wrath for our sins, and that tells us that it is done. And we're forgiven. 
This brings us the forgiveness that each and every one of us needed. And it's not some of your trespasses. It's not, it's not just the, the, the really, really bad ones. And it's not just the ones that we, uh, what, what is it that uh, the, the book title, Respectable Sins, right? The ones that we just kind of say, oh, that one's not that bad. No, no, no. Every sin. Because the reality is, because of God's perfect standard, right? One sin makes us miss that standard. Every single sin has been forgiven. All, all trespasses. And so Paul uh, just continues to, in concise form, uh, unpack this truth of God making us alive together with him. Uh, what was the function of the cross, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And he goes on to say in verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. I'm going to read that again. Let it sink in by canceling the record of debt that stood against us, that stood against you, that stood against me with its legal demands. This is true forgiveness. This is true and whole forgiveness. Our record of debt, your record of debt before God, the terminology that, that Paul uses here, the official record of our sinfulness before God, every single sin and trespass before God, jotted down and remembered in the mind of God, including all the rightful demands and penalties and punishments and divine judgments and charges and fines that would come along with it, every single one of it, all of it, wiped clean, canceled, cleansed. No trace left. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. And how is this the case? Because it was paid by Christ on the cross. It was paid by Christ on the cross. This he set aside, as Paul writes, nailing it to the cross. What a vivid picture. Our record of debt nailed to the cross. You, know, you think about that. You think about even what we sang this evening and, and when we think about what was read by, by Harry and Pastor in Mark 15. If only the, the Roman soldiers who were driving the nails through the hands of Christ if only the ones who were thrusting the hammer against the nails through Christ's skin and between the bones of his hands and into the wood of this cross, if only they knew that what was happening there could have been their record of death being nailed to the cross, their sins being nailed to the cross. It could have been their debt being paid. That's why we sing what we did and how deep the Father's love for us. It was my sin that held him there. It was your sin that held him there. Your record of debt. If none of us had a record of debt, if God would have looked at his creation and said, everyone's doing great, no one has offended me at all, everyone has lived up to my perfect moral standard and has shown love for me and worship for me and love for each other, Jesus Christ would not have had a single nail go through his hands. 
He hung on the cross because of our record of debt. Go and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. can't really go through a Good Friday sermon without reading some of Isaiah 53. Surely he, starting at verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It kind of gets to the point, doesn't it? It kind of gets right to the point of the function of the cross, of why it is that Christ had to die. That's the function of the cross, finally, our third point, the finality of the cross. The finality of the cross. Look with me back at Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The cross of Christ was a final triumph over the powers of darkness that each and every believer, each and every one of us were once a slave to. And each and every person that is rejecting Christ is still a slave to. Your bondage to, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2, to the prince of the power of the air. I mentioned Paul likes to repeat himself a little bit throughout this letter. This is the true and final deliverance that Paul talks about back in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Does that sound somewhat familiar? Jesus Christ, the, the work that he did on the cross, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, transferring us out of that slavery to darkness, the domain of darkness. Yes, there, there is the reality that for the Christian there is, in fact, spiritual warfare, but, but we have to remember that the battle, that the war has been won, and that victory has been achieved. You have been forgiven. Your salvation is secure in Christ. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. It is a guarantee achieved by Christ on the cross. Satan has been disarmed. Literally, the, the, the word that Paul uses here, 
is that his armor, that the, the armor of the, the, the rulers and authorities, specifically talking of spiritual rulers and authorities, their armor has been stripped off. Uh, they're, they're left with nothing. And this hasn't been done in secret. They were put to open shame. Completely exposed. Completely exposed. What happened on the cross was a final victory. This isn't he began to disarm the rulers. This isn't he will one day disarm the rulers and authority, but he disarmed the rulers and authorities, triumphing over, triumphing over them in him. You, you don't, you're not called a, uh, you don't triumph over people. You don't use that terminology if you have not won, do you? You don't use terminology like triumphing over them if you're still in the middle of this work. If the job wasn't complete. You don't see soldiers and armies with any kind of triumphal entry after losing a war. Only when it is done and complete, when it has been won. And that is what Christ did on the cross. Cross. And Christians, this, this is why you can rest. This is why you can have peace. This is why you can trust and have hope in eternity. God has completed the work of your salvation in Christ at the cross. Again, for any non-Christian that's here this evening, this evening, what you have heard in these verses here, this is the gospel. This is the good news. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That is the gospel. That is the good news of salvation and the only way of salvation. And it can be your good news as well. It's for anyone who would stand before God and and recognize their sinfulness before His holiness and His righteousness and and, and plead on on behalf of the very work that that, that Christ did on the cross and, and turn from your sinfulness and not just turn from your sinfulness but turn toward righteousness, that's called repentance, and believe in Christ. If you're not a Christian here, this evening, uh, praise the Lord that you are here. But, but don't want you to leave this room. No Christian in this room would want you to leave this room without you being called to place your faith in Jesus Christ for your sins. You, you know the guilt of your sin. Us as Christians, we, we still at times feel the weight and the guilt of our sin, and yet we're able to look to the cross of Christ. We're able to look upward to Christ and know that he paid the penalty for our sin. But, but if you're not a Christian here this evening, you don't have that relief, do you? 
The weight gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And not only does it get heavier and heavier and heavier, you go further and deeper into darkness and deeper into your sin, but you don't have to. The the call, the message of the gospel is right before your eyes even this evening. So if you have any questions about that, if you have any questions about the gospel message, I would love to talk with you more after. I know Pastor Harry would. I know many men and women in this room would love to talk to you more about the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ alone, and and how to respond to this news. Christians, we have hope but not just because of what happened in these verses. The story didn't end here, did it? This Sunday, we come together once again not to remember what happened at the cross necessarily, but what happened three days later. Jesus did die. It was a real death on the cross. His blood was shed But today, Jesus lives. Today, Jesus lives. When you think of the cross, when you think of crucifixion, I just want to encourage you, don't just think of what happened. Uh, Don't get sucked into uh, some habit on Good Friday of watching The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. Don't. Put it aside. Think about what it accomplished. Thank the Lord for your testimony. Thank the Lord for what he did at the cross and that you can even call him Lord, that you have been saved. Your sins forgiven, your debt nailed, and your Savior's love on display for you. His life given up for you. Let's pray. Lord, how can we come to you after a text like this with anything in our hearts but sheer awe and gratitude and undeserved joy in our hearts? That's why we call this Good Friday, because of what was accomplished on the cross. Lord, please help us to never lose sight of this. Not just each year on Good Friday, but as we lay our heads down to sleep this evening, as we wake up in the morning, as we go about our days, Lord, help us to remember what you accomplished on the cross, to purchase a people for your own possession, that ultimately we would live lives that would show the world around us this good news by how we live in worship to you and the gospel proclaimed the only way of salvation, people hearing the gospel and responding to it, your spirit truly working behind the scenes. Uh, Without this work, without God, the active work of you making any one of us alive, we would still be dead. So let this shade every aspect of our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We don't, we don't thank you enough, but thank you, Jesus Christ, for what you accomplished on the cross. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.